was a good one. Thanks. <laughs> how about you, Jaime? How you feeling? Uh, feeling good. I'm feeling excited, actually, to talk to Mackenzie here. Because this will be, I think, one of the f- other first times where I'm talking to someone that I don't really know. And this will be the f- our first interaction. So I'll learn a lot. Yeah. This, uh, are you, this, you know? do you do comedy or are you auxiliary? I No, no. Anthony's been trying to get me into comedy, but we'll see about that. Uh, he's a filmmaker by yeah, trade. Okay. I, uh, I also do some acting if you ever need someone. Oh, yeah? Okay. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. There we go. Uh, uh, cue the intro music. Welcome one, welcome all to another installment of the 1st and the 15th. My name is Anthony Barrera. I am your host. Coming in from a remote, undisclosed location is my co-host, Mr. Jaime Vidhan. Hello, everyone. It is good to be here, as always. I feel like I say the same thing every time. <laughs> and every time we'll be glad to hear it. Yes. Uh, we have a big guest alert in effect here today on the pod. Santa Cruz comedian Mackenzie Ruiz, welcome to the show. Hello, and thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So excited to have you. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Mackenzie is one of the best up-and-coming comedians in the Santa Cruz comedy scene. You can catch her at the DNA Comedy Club when uh, the world isn't in quarantine, maybe. Uh, <laughs> so I wanted to talk uh, real quickly about your background, about like how you first got into doing comedy. How was that for you? Um, I honestly, it was a very, I think, I don't really know if it's like the basic way that people usually get into it. Um, I essentially just loved making my friends laugh and bringing smiles to my friends' faces. And that was kind of just always my goal in interactions with my friends. And so that was definitely just rooted within me. My, um, My family was like, you know, we never really took things seriously, but our lives were really serious. Um, we had like, you know, okay. we had like a serious family life. So I feel like all of our interactions were always, we were never serious. We we're always joking. Like it was just always something that I grew up with. And then I, you know, obviously love stand up as well. And then um, it's actually, I guess there is like a little bit of cuteness to it because I, when I was 19, I was a barista for the first time. And (laughs) yes, I love coffee. I absolutely love coffee. I like my favorite coffee drink is four espresso shots on ice. Oh my God. (laughs) I don't. Yeah. That's heavy. I love coffee. But anyway, so when I was 19, I was um, at this local coffee shop and a lot of the clientele were regulars who were retired. So there was this couple named Zoe and Boz and they were fantastic. They came in every morning and. Boz and I each morning would exchange pun jokes. So just like what you'd consider pun. now in 2020, like mm. dad jokes. Uh, <laughs> they have evolved. They have evolved. I know. Puns have evolved to dad jokes. Yeah. Now. So we would exchange dad jokes and um, it brought me so much happiness. And then he was like, you should like consider this as something. So then I went to my first open mic at a donut shop and I totally. A donut shop. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. It's so weird going from being like 19, going to a donut shop, telling some really bad jokes, 
And then now I'm, you know, 24 going on 25 and I've, you know, experienced such a different thing. Just the entire world of comedy. Not really, but I mean, at least a different world, you know, like dark, you know, like the dark blue lagoon where like everything smells like pee and dead (laughs) dreams. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But uh, yeah, so I I loved it. I obviously ran the light super hard. Um, and then I was just like, I'm addicted. I can't get enough. And then, um, I, that launched me into sort of a brief career in YouTube. I started doing prank. Yeah, I know. I actually, uh, yeah, I haven't really thought about this. Prank videos? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, basically following Adam Sandler's steps. you employ? Are you guys familiar with Rich Ferguson? That sounds really familiar. Rich Ferguson. Doesn't that? I don't know, but tell yeah, us. Yeah, I feel like I've heard that before. Yeah, I don't know why. We're, we're, so he's been a YouTuber he for a while. He does prank videos and sort of like mental okay. magic stuff. Um, when I was working with him, it was the point when he reached two two million subscribers. Oh, yeah. Okay. So so I started doing that and I loved it. It was like a link between you know comedy and some sort of like further career as well within YouTube but and then after you know I did a couple of videos I realized that maybe I wasn't ready at that age to have so many eyes on me it was um kind of overwhelming I could imagine yeah so I I kind of reeled back and then I traveled for a year I traveled the world and taught English, and then I came back to Santa Cruz. I, I well, I was in San Luis Obispo, and then I went to Santa Cruz, and that's when everything just like exploded for comedy. Yeah, how was that shift going? Uh, how's that shift went for you? Because you went from uh, teaching abroad and like trying to essentially like I would assume trying to like find out who you were and what you wanted to do, and then you come to Santa Cruz. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been there before before um, your first arrival there. After I had no I had only been there once and I you know I swam in the ocean and then I left mm. so how was it arriving to a new spot essentially and you have nothing but like these dreams that you want to follow and like achieve? it was interesting I think that was a really pivotal time in my life because I you know I left the country with my partner at the time I left everything I ever knew behind without a plan I didn't I bought a one-way oh, ticket sure. to Nicaragua and Dang, holy <laughs> <shit>. that's <laughs> <Yeah>. wow <laughs> holy shit um and so I went down there with the intention the naive idea that I was going to go teach English down there and what ended up happening was for about three or four months I lived there and I just surfed and drank beer Wow. <laughs> Basically, just a vacation. <laughs> yeah, because I, wow. I couldn't find work. I was so naive. I didn't realize how much of a third country Nicaragua is. Yeah, and but them waves are tight, bro. But those waves were sick. But honestly, it was a good like slap in the face because I was like, oh, I came down here thinking like I'll get a teaching job or whatever and then i realized like no you need to come down here and volunteer like you need to have money so that you can just come live down here and give them something because Mm. you know you don't need to take from that and i didn't i thought i knew that but i I really didn't and then i ended up doing all kinds of crazy stuff i backpacked through europe and i went to thailand and just all kinds of stuff and through it all i came back 
and realized that I was a completely different person. Um, my partner and I separated amicably. He's a doll. Okay. But I just realized I was completely different and I wanted to pursue this new, like, sort of perspective that I had on life. And then I fell into the Santa Cruz comedy community at a really dark time in my life because I was like, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I am. It's everything so different. It, it was like an identity crisis. Yeah. And then the Santa Cruz comedy community took me in. They just totally gave me so much love and kindness and just like a place that I felt like I could fit in. And then I really decided to pursue comedy as a career, which is probably even crazier than leaving everything behind and traveling the world. Yeah. Or... <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it is it is kind of like really crazy to hear um, the fact that you were taken in because we've talked to a lot of different artists from different backgrounds. And something that we always come back to is the feeling of community between um, the artists and the, the scene that they're in. Mm-hmm. Like, in theater, it was the same story. Uh, there are a lot of people that didn't know where they were, who they were, mm-hmm. what they wanted to do, and they, by pure happenstance, joined a theater and found dedicate something. their lives to it yeah. because they they find they love it so much, mm-hmm. you know. And it's it's really cool to see that happening in other in other scenes places as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I um, um, I didn't even realize it when it was happening. And the separation from it all now that we've all been forced to go into, you know, including myself, has really given me this outward perspective where I'm like, wow, I I really was given this sort of like family. Um, And it's, you know, it's a little sad that it's not it's not as strong anymore, you know, because we're all separated. But. I think back on it and I'm like, that time in my life, I needed it more than anything. I needed to have some, like, focus. I needed to have – and, I mean, everyone was always just – I mean, not everyone. (laughs) There's always, like, a few people who are not your friend. But most people were just so encouraging. And, you know, I mean, I feel like I grew so much as a performer, as a comedian in Santa Cruz – that it was just like I don't even understand how it happened so fast. You know, I went from yeah. never hosting a show in my whole life to just doing open mics to then being given the opportunity to host a show, which I think was one of the best things. That it, it was a milestone, really, in my opinion. Yeah, someone put you in, like essentially in charge of their their show, yeah. their baby. Yeah, and they entrusted you. With yeah. It. yeah, and I mean, I know I'm sure you can really um, because you have you've hosted bricks and beer right yeah so like that moment when you're like about to go up and host your own show i mean you're thinking about it days before you're thinking about it i mean the day yep. of 100 <laughs> like the day of you're like it's i feel like it's like the closest that i've been so far to like giving birth you know like <laughs> holy <laughs> shit like you're like <laughs> No, it is. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure, and it's really difficult to prepare. I mean, you can do the the you can prepare the beginning and the ending part pretty well, but during the show, like you're going up after someone just did five minutes of their own material that you now have to play off of to introduce the next comic. So it's a lot of kind of thinking on your feet and. Yeah, or you you know you're ha- you have to you go on and you don't know what the person said before you you can't you can't prepare for that like you said you it's a new person with new material yeah. you don't know what's going on and you might have to go up and be like wow that was amazing and then follow up somehow 
Or you might have to go on and be like, yeah. I'm so sorry for that. Uh, we're going to move on. you have to on. pick the energy back yeah. up. Wow. Yeah, it's it's uh. it's a really uh, juggling act, and uh, I can totally uh, relate. <laughs> yeah, Trust I me. mean, it is like... There's been some nights... There's been... I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, there, yeah, no, there have been some nights where it has just seemed harder than anything else I ever could have done with my evening. Like That's what I mean. It's like giving birth, you know. You, like, prepare for it. You're like, this is what it's going to be like. This is what could happen, blah, 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 blah. But then you go into, like... I mean, this is so... I can't even believe I'm equating it to this, and I'll probably get canceled for this, but, like... <laughs> you go in and you're like, okay, like, you know your breathing exercises, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like, you have all this training, and then you're like... You go into labor, and you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, shit. Oh, Everything shit. hurts. I'm so upset. I wish I could drink a beer right now, but I have this responsibility. And you're just, like, pushing along. Oh, you don't drink the beer? I definitely <laughs> drink the beer. I know. I've seen you do that. You actually did that bit where you chug the beer in the middle of hosting. You did that yeah. before one of the best sets I've ever had in my life. For real, like, before I went up there, I had the beer in my hand, and I told Mackenzie, I was like, hey, I'm going to do the bit where I chug the beer, and I do it every show. Uh, she had a look of genuine concern on her face. She's like, are, are you going to be okay? You're not going to, I don't want you to throw up before my set or anything. Yeah, and I went out and did it. it, and it went perfectly, and then she went out and slaughtered that crowd. Like, it was ridiculous. It was so funny. Like, I, I was so yeah. worried. You were like, I'm going to chug, and it was a full, it was a full pint. And I think it was probably like an IPA or something. Yeah, yeah it was. Uh, it was the Mai Tai that oh we had uh, sponsored that night. Such a so. good beer. But I was just like, yeah. "You're gonna throw up on stage, like, because if I did that, oh, that would totally God. happen to me." And I was like, "But honestly, like, if he does it, it's all mental." Yeah, I was like, "If he does it, I have to go out and crush." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, big ups to the alcoholic, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I want to move on. Uh, let's uh, talk about the Santa Cruz comedy scene itself. Um, it has grown over the years. Like, I've only I've only really been an observer and, like, an occasional um, participant, but it really seems like it has come a long way. Uh, can you speak on that and uh, how, how far it's come along I mean, since uh, you've been here? You know, same for me. I've only been in this scene... For a little over a year, probably like a year and a half now, um, I joined in January of 2019, and I, I mean, even in that time, you know, you're right, there has been so much growth, and I feel like it has, you know, it's probably maybe like a few years in the making, I don't really know much about that, but when I started to join, I just, even in my time that I've been in, it has exponentially become something very big, you know, but very small at the same time. You know, we, we don't have that many people in the Santa Cruz comedy community. You know, I could probably name them all in less than a minute. And oh, wow. yeah, I mean, you know, like there's there's those people, those core people. I mean, I don't even know. I couldn't even guess the number, but it's not high. And that's why I think it has felt like so much like a family. But I think a lot of our successes come from that tight-knit, small community where we also have this hotbed of like, you know, I think it's built upon, my, my personal opinion is that it's built upon a lot of hard work, a lot of love, a lot of community. And we've been given this gift of a very small community so that we are 
forced to communicate. You can't operate in this small of a scene without communicating, without supporting each other, without having some sort of like, you know, general rule system or you know practice procedure like i it's communication with everything yeah and you know i remember when i first joined um i'm the kind of person who i'm sure you know (laughs) i'm the kind of person who makes like i like to you know just like be myself and i have a big personality yeah and so i came in and i was like up bitches like i'm here i need friends i'm gonna be here and i'm gonna stay and i'm gonna you know be you like it or not yeah i'm gonna be funny and like all this stuff and so like i definitely became a part of the scene pretty quickly and also i was really serious about making comedy my career at this point so i remember in the beginning i had an issue with someone who wasn't a part of the santa cruz comedy community mm-hmm. and they were not good to me and it was not an okay situation and i just will never forget their response from the santa cruz comedy community they instantly banded behind me i didn't even really make a big deal out of it because you know as a woman and as a woman of color and as a woman who is very you know i have a lot of anxiety and i I don't like confrontation i was pretty much just like okay that's fine i I'm not going to do anything about this. Everyone... Like, over it. Don't feed the energy into it. Yeah, everyone was like, nope, this is not okay. We will not tolerate this. We are not going to stand by while this happens, and we are going to do something. And everyone stood behind me, and it was super empowering. And I don't know that that would happen, and, like, I can't really, you know, say anything concrete, but I don't know that that would happen in, like, a huge scene, you know? Yeah, I mean... There would be the possibility of, like, politics coming into play depending on who this person was. But it is super cool to see um, the community stand behind you in such a way. It really, it means a lot, you know? Like, yeah, I don't know what this person did, but if it warranted that type of response, then he probably deserved it. I think so, and I mean, I think it's just the idea of we are this community you're a part of this community and we have your back and if something makes you feel threatened or uncomfortable we're not going to stand by while it happens and i've never really been a part of a community like that ever oh yeah i just think that's great and i think that speaks volumes for the way that the santa cruz comedy community operates and again i'm just one opinion you know and i really haven't been in it as long as a lot of people have but that's my experience and you know, I remember in the beginning of shutdown for, you know, the coronavirus, the most amount of people who reached out to me were from the comedy community. They were, like, wondering if I was okay and just, like, making sure that I was okay. And that is really great. And, I mean, also, too, I think that most of the people that I've become close to in the Santa Cruz comedy community, we all want each other to be successful. And I've been in a comedy community before where I felt like that wasn't the main focus. I feel like there was a lot of competition and a lot of, you know, Mm, I mean, mm. and again, I like to spin things in a positive way and I like to have a positive life and mindset. There's obviously some negative things, you know, there's drama. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of drama. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, comedians were not, you know, the most stable people all the time. So there's obviously drama and there's whatever. But ultimately, I do think that it is like a very 
wonderful community of encouragement and things like that. And that's why I think that it's doing so well. I mean, well, before everything shut down, we were like popping yeah. off. I mean, it was, it was popping the fuck yeah, off. And the people who like, were in charge of shows, I think really cared about it all. Yeah, they did. There was genuine like care and like, you can see it with the mics when you showed up, like people gave a fuck about being there and you don't get that at some mics and it's kind of, like draining as a comedian to go into a mic and people like you could just tell that like oh people just came here because it was the only mic available in the Mm. area or whatever and when i go to santa cruz usually it's every night like okay i'm trying to i'm trying to i'm trying to kill this audience real quick let them know what's up um yeah it's super great vibe uh speaking about coronavirus uh now that we are entering the latter half of the year it's looking like it's going to stay shut down for a while can you talk about how Zoom shows and drive-ins, which are all the rage now in the comedy scene, have um, evolved to becoming, like, the permanent medium, so to speak. Yeah, so, I mean, I will say that I am really thankful for the fact that comedy has... I don't really know how to articulate it, but basically just... It's like, I mean, how is it able to adapt? Like, I mean... You have to, I mean, how has that been? Trying to adapt from, like, standing on a stage to going into a computer screen. I mean, it's it's hard. And not to be dramatic, but also I love to be dramatic. It was pretty literally life-changing for me, you know, because my life was literally... I would wake up, I would go to work at a comedy club. I would get off work. I would change. And then I'd go to do comedy at night. And then I would wake up and do it all over again. And most nights of the week, I was doing comedy. And if I wasn't doing comedy, I was at home writing new material. So that was my whole life. And then switching from that. And also, too, granted, I think... Yeah, snap of it. Yeah. And I I think it's important to mention, too, that not only was comedy something... Like, doing stand-up is something that I love and something that I want to pursue as a career. But also, there's this aspect that a lot of people... I think miss if you don't do stand up, but the aspect of like, you don't feel as alone because I mean, at least for me, because I was able to, you know, go to bars, be around the same people, be around people who I could relate to where I didn't feel lonely. You know, I felt like I always had people to be around, which is as someone who struggles with anxiety and depression, that was really key for me. And then that got ripped away as well as this other thing that I wanted to pursue as a career. And the transition from being able to develop this skill on stage and also be able to socialize with people that I relate to into being completely solo online where you can't even get a response from the audience normally, that was really difficult. Yeah, uh, Zoom shows have evolved themselves. Uh, I remember when it first really started closing down i went to go see a zoom show and it was it you know kind of turned me off it was a little low-key like depressing and i haven't really done comedy since then it's been a giant void in my life because again you're around people constantly and like friends and like it just becomes ingrained in your routine uh and then switching from that is is life-changing there's really nothing dramatic about it it's a statement of fact uh but yeah zoom shows i've they've gotten better you know, totally. the, uh, more people are coming in and their, the reactions are, are, are getting there. I uh, I still can't attribute it to being the same as, as being on a stage and live in front of people. 
but it it has taken its steps and I'm excited to see where it can go. Yeah, I you know, I was totally in that place too where I was just like this is kind of depressing <laughs> like I don't really think I like this. But then I, you know, I just tried to make the best out of it and I also realized that like I need something to keep me going with performing and so I started to lay in a little bit more and I started to be more picky about the ones that I was doing and then I started my own zoom show and I think that helped me regain a lot of sense of control and I could make it my own way and I could you know I'm really really detail oriented so I'm like I don't want there to be interfere with mics or things like that I don't want an audience member to be having their own separate conversation and then people can hear it but I also want people mm-hmm. to be able to laugh and then we hear it. So there's a lot of intricate things. And once I took control of that, I felt a little bit better. And like you said, they're evolving. Things are getting better. And this is the new normal, as everyone's saying, you know. <laughs> this is the you new. Know, sorry, I do want to bring something up If since you guys were saying that. Anthony, you brought up something a couple of days ago about possibly like putting up a comedy set like online like an audio like on spotify or youtube or whatever like what do you think about that yeah you know like doing a whole like a 30 minute set or i don't know how long you guys do but just doing a whole set and then posting that online and then i don't know people comment it i'm sure they'll listen to it and they'll laugh on their own like what do you think about that kind of stuff i think it's great and personally i don't know if i'm confident enough or in love with enough my material that I have right now to put out Uh something that's just Uh audio that is a longer form that I think that people would enjoy I I want most of the time I want the material that I'm releasing to people who aren't there for live shows I want it to be really really good in my opinion and I want it to be special and if I had material like that I would totally do it and as far as the comedians who do that I absolutely love it and if you're a fan of comedy there are so many amazing comedians who are on Spotify that have released albums and stuff like that and it's what I listen to on like road trips or it's what I listen to sometimes when I'm running like I'll just listen to people's albums on Spotify so if you have material I totally and you're like happy with it I totally suggest doing that I think it's a good move I think it's uh it's quite possibly a double-edged sword because like it is your first impression to a lot of uh people after you put it out you know, um, if you're trying to get booked at a, at a certain spot and you plug that, you know, you're on Spotify or whatever, that's going to be their first impression of you. So that material better be A1. It better be like your A1 top sauce, you know, stuff. Yeah. And that's hard to, it's hard to capture that, you know, because like you can tell your best joke at a mic and it gets zero laughs. And the next night you go to another spot and it destroys the room. I know, right? And, and it's so. That's so, <laughs> so weird. I mean, it's so subjective. It really is. And it's it's super it yeah. dependent on your mood and your sort of, like, energy that you're bringing. It really is super convoluted. But, I mean, I also just feel like the most, like, the people that I've admired the most in comedy that I've been given the opportunity to talk to or to get advice from, they, like, the general idea is pretty much that you're always 
growing and you're always going to get better and like it's just this idea of humility so that's something I try to adopt a lot where I think sometimes it might be to a fault and I'm not sure but it might be to a fault because I won't release material or I won't release a clip or you know an audio by or anything like that because I'm like this could be better um yeah I think that's something that I should definitely try to work on and explore and see you know where's the line between humility and confidence because if you want to be a performer there's got to be a balance but like sometimes I feel like you kind of have to err more on the side of confidence yeah and that's why it's good to have people around you that have opinions that you respect because you know they could quite possibly help you walk that line a little bit where it's like, uh, it's the same with like somebody making a, mu- a song and like they have A&R there to tell you like, hey, uh, I know you worked really hard on this, but it might not be it, you know? Hmm. And I think it's important to have people around you that are like that, that aren't afraid yeah, to tell you when something maybe isn't the best or yeah, something really people. is good and you don't feel like putting it out. They're like, no, you have to put this yeah. out. Yeah. That's funny. Um, but speaking funny. about, you know, music and, and, and stuff like that, uh, do you have any passions that lie outside of uh, the traditional stand-up comedy? Y- you did mention acting. Yeah. So I, um, it's funny, I actually found these headshots. I guess I didn't, I forgot about this. My childhood was a little, a little rocky. So um, I have, uh, I've repressed a lot. But I found, I had this big box of stuff that it was like a big like outdoor storage thing of stuff from my mother and I never went through it it was just something that I had to take um years ago before I even traveled so I was probably like 19 and um I've just been lugging it around with me I've moved I've lost count of how many times I've moved in my life but in my adult life so like after 18 I've moved probably at least 10 times and so Oh, I just lugged this thing around with me and I finally moved into a spot that I thought was going to be pretty long term um, at the beginning of quarantine. So I opened it up and I looked in there and there was all these pictures and stuff like that. And I found headshots from when I was probably about, um, I want to say like eight years old. Yeah, so I completely, totally forgot that, uh, or I guess I didn't forget, I just hadn't thought about the fact that when I was eight... I was obsessed with becoming an actress and so my parents scraped together money and they took me to LA and they got me headshots and they're so funny I can I can send you them if you want but they're so funny interesting they're like classic early 2000s or whatever of just like headshots of me as an eight-year-old and um so that was my first introduction to sort of like performance and then when I grew up and I was in high school, I partnered with someone who probably maybe was doing something that was along the lines of what Jaime probably explored during younger years. Just like basic, you know, filming, making projects, things like that, you know. Yeah, trying to get the foundation down. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. I, I just partnered with someone who was into filmmaking and I was into acting and then we created a few short films and I loved it. Um, and then when I got a little bit older I did the YouTube thing and so I was really passionate about performing at that time but now my performance is kind of changing as I get older and the newest thing that I'm into as performing is improv and sketch I ah yeah and I know there's this weird sort of like thing I've seen it a couple times in comedy where people are like 
uh, improv's stupid. Oh, no, no, no. I have uh, quite a few friends who are part of, like, sketch improv groups. I love it. Um, yeah, it's it's it takes talent to do it. It takes skill and, like, a performer to actually pull it's it off. It's not easy. When it's done well, holy shit, hilarious. Right? It can be absolutely wonderful, yeah. Yeah, I, um, so Big that's kind of the newer improv thing. sketch comedy groups. I mean, the bigger new thing is improv, which I, you know, I started that Zoom show, which is improv, basically, but... Sketch comedy has been, in the last probably year or so, my biggest focus as far as a passion for performance that's not stand-up. I really like it. I think it's really funny. I think it's really challenging. And I think it has a lot of elements that stand-up comedy doesn't have. And mm-hmm. I think that's challenging. So I'm really interested in that. Um, but that's pretty much it. I've I think the closest thing to something that's like outside of all of this that involves performance is I've thought about making a cooking YouTube channel. Um, That'd be yeah, lit. I can see it. Because I love cooking and I feel like, I know it's been done before, but like I drink a lot of wine when I cook. Everything has been done before, <laughs> but. What was that, Jaime? You can do it in your own, uh, everything's been done before, but I'm sure you can do it in your own way. I like that. That's a, that's a nice mindset to have. Cause I'm like, I hold back a lot from doing stuff because I'm like, ah, eh, that's been done before. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> you gotta stop Family Guy is ripping off them. episodes from The Simpsons. The Simpsons are ripping off episodes from The Twilight Zone. It's <laughs> fine. Everyone's doing it. As long as yeah. you do it your way, no, I, you know? Yeah, that'd be cool. I'd love to see that, that kind of stuff. More cooking content would be awesome. I think it would be fun, too, because I, I try. I've been exploring during quarantine. I've been exploring, like, um, my, like, Latina roots. So I'm making a lot of, like, Mexican food that I grew up mm. on. Ooh, but I have this like right <laughs> I have this like whitewash Latina vibe where I'm like also drinking like a Grenache or like you know like oh. a Gavroche Chaminer oh. white wine and I'm just like okay so listen I'm out here in Santa Cruz California <laughs> we're making enchiladas I grew these peppers in my garden but like oh god it's seasoned properly <laughs> yeah um well, running up on 33 minutes here, uh, I want to get to the segment that's my personal favorite. We do it for every episode of the 1st and the 15th. It's called Shitheads and Do-Gutters. What we do is we take one person in the news, media, or your personal life that has committed some type of evil, and uh, we choose to shine a light on it. Then, to lighten the mood, we take someone who has committed some good, and we do the same with them. Jaime, would you like to go first? Okay, yes, I'm going to try to keep it quick. So yesterday was opening day for baseball, and uh, Trump made a uh, a little video with Mariano Rivera, the closer for the Yankees. And that same day, I think he brought back um, the coronavirus briefings, which he kind of like took more seriously, and saying that we should start wearing masks and that we should take you know better precautions, all that kind of stuff. But then he makes this video. You know, of course, with Marion Rivera, and he has little leaguers in the back, and none of them, no one, is wearing a mask. Or even kind of, you know, like, following the procedures that he brought up, it seems kind of counter, counterintuitive. I think that's the word I'm not really sure. But oh, my gosh. Kind of, uh, that's my shithead. I mean, Trump has come up a few times on our show, but this seems like, One you know, more kind egregious. of... Come on, man! You just said this, but now you're doing this. Like, <laughs> you just what, what, said wearing what do you masks wanna, is important. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's confusing, but that's my shithead. Uh, yeah, uh, Trump. He's probably going to come up more times. <laughs> Honestly, hopefully until November, January, and then never Honestly. again. Hopefully. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hopefully. my shithead uh, is going to be my cat. 
Uh, I took in recently a four week year old, a four week old kitten, uh, nursed it to health. It was a stray. Um, the little bastard tried clawing up my leg and, uh, he missed the end of my shorts. So he decided to, uh, hang on for as tightly as he can. Oh my gosh. And I now have a five inch scar on my leg <sighs> from where he sliced me up. Dude. Oh no. Ugh, like I can imagine it right now. Oh, man, the rage, the rage. And I couldn't take it out on him because, like, he was just trying to hang right. on, you know? Right. Like, he wasn't actively trying to scratch me. Yeah. So I just went shit. in my room and just hit, beat the shit out of my pillow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But that's yeah, my shithead it's, uh, it's, for it's this It's hard with pets, man. Yeah. So, Mackenzie, what's yours in? Um, I think my shithead of the week is probably Ted Yoho who called Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez a fucking bitch to her face. Right on the steps of, of the uh, Capitol. Capitol Hill, right? Yeah. God what? damn. Yeah, he straight up, so basically To her face. To her face, well, a little bit. I heard, or I read an article from the reporter that he was like uh-huh. about to uh-huh. walk away and he said it because he is that much of a pussy ass bitch. Um, he, so basically it was only, I mean, it was basically because she linked poverty and crime, which is like, duh, is that not completely obvious? Mm -hmm. Are you not, for real? how can you not see the connection between poverty and crime? Like that's out of control. Have you been elected to public office and don't know that? Right. And so he was like, so first of all, he said that she was disgusting for relating the two. And then he followed up with calling her a fucking bitch. So she was going to let it go. And then, or not let it go, but I mean, you know, she was going to move forward. Right, right. Just. mm -hmm. And then he basically was like, made an unapology apology and was like, Mm. I would never say anything like that. I have daughters and a wife. And then, yeah. And then the reporter was like, you fucking said that. And she was like, yeah, you said that. And then... So then she came out on Thursday in front of the house and gave this epic speech and was just like, this isn't new treatment, but this is not okay. And then like all these other Democrat, um, well, not necessarily only Democrat, but basically just these like other Congress women came forward and were like, this happened to me, this happened to me, this happened to me, this happened to me. We're not okay with it and we're not going to deal with it anymore. And basically one of the best things that AOC said, in my opinion, was she was just like, I'm a daughter. And like, thank God that my dad isn't here to see the way that you're treating his daughter but my mom's still here and i'm not gonna let her see me back down or my nieces see me step down like this is not okay and like this is a clear example and a clear point in time where you can see that like men in power they'll treat women this way even when they have daughters even when they have wives Mm -hmm. so um it's like their excuse though is like and i think it's being exposed I think it's being exposed mm, more yeah. and more as time comes. Like, and I yeah. think it's great because the more it gets exposed, the more these fuckers get out of office, and mm. the quicker we can get to actually, you know, important like, stuff. And, and yeah, instead pro- of this, progress. this ridiculous. That's the hope. Progression. That's the hope. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, to lighten the mood, let's go on to do-gooders. Uh, I'll go first. The mm. Queen, Taylor Swift, she's dropping an album. <laughs> I, I had really gotten to the point where I thought all hope was lost, and then last night, oh my goodness, the joy that had filled my heart when I saw the announcement. 
uh, I can't wait. I know it's going to be a banger. I know every track is going to be a banger. And, uh, man, I'm so glad. I know. Dude. <laughs> uh, what, what's the album anyway? Do you know? We're gonna, we're gonna, uh, I don't know what the album right is now. called. Dang uh, but we I know it's coming. The, uh, I don't we need to see coming. it. I, I, I know. just know like, it's coming. Uh huh. I'm excited. I, I'm a, I'm a big, we're, we're big Taylor Swift fans, so that's some good news from Taylor on the Insta. Uh, should I go? Yeah, is your do-gooder? Uh, yeah, my do-gooder is going to be Gary Vaynerchuk. He's a big her- hero of mine. I don't know why I haven't brought it up before. But Gary, just overall, every day, he's just pushing, you know, positivity uh, patience, you know, um, bringing value to others, always giving advice. If you don't know who Gary Vaynerchuk is, please go follow him on Instagram or any social media or Gary V V E E. Just a lot of positive stuff to just keep you going, honestly. So I just want to say, uh, my do-gooder is Gary V. He's helped me a lot in my new 2020 life. And I hopefully, if you don't know him yet, he'll help you too. So that's my do-gooder, Gary V. There you go. Uh, he got you on the collecting sports cards dude, trend, huh? Well, uh huh, dude. Yeah. So that he got me into collecting sport sports cards again, and just like pushing content. Like this is he's one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast. You know, like to just go and do this podcast. That's yeah. So Gary V, big shout out. That's the homie. That's the hero. That's uh, super interesting, Mackenzie. That's super interesting. Um, not to make this go any longer, but I uh-huh, no worries. Uh-huh. Um, just followed him on Instagram uh, two weeks ago. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh. I fun. um. Yeah. Go check out all his content: TikTok, uh, <laughs> Snapchat. Dude, he, he, I'm telling you, he'll bring you value and like, will teach you some stuff that you probably didn't know. I mean, I don't know how how. I think he's great. I mean, all I can really say from personal experience is that after I started following him, it I noticed the first time that it made an impact when I was talking to someone who was being pretty, like, negative. Like, they were kind of complaining about mm. something that happened to them, and I was there for it, and I was like... It was basically like something happened, and then they asked for help with it, and then that person made it worse, and so then they were like, it was all that person's fault. And I was like... So I don't really think that's how successful people think, you know, why don't, why didn't you, after that happened, why didn't you say, okay, now this is an opportunity for me to go further and try to fix this myself rather than, Mm -hmm. well, that person made it worse. So now it's their fault. The whole thing was their fault. And it's like, well, you made the mistake in the first Mm -hmm. place and you asked for help and it didn't go the way that you wanted. So now you're going to blame that person. No, that's not how successful people think. You go after it after that. And you're like, no, I'm going to fix this now. I'm going to think harder. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to think smarter. I'm going to do this myself and I'm not going to blame other people. Um, that is something that I learned from following Gary Vee. So I definitely endorse that. Mm -hmm. Awesome. (laughs) Um, my do gooder is somebody named Juan Manuel. Um, I often, actually, I love this segment because I often do try to seek out, I'll just literally Google like good news today in the world (laughs) (laughs) because sometimes there's something in the world that's not burning. Yeah. So basically Juan Manuel sailed over 5,000 miles from Portugal to Argentina to see his parents when like, you know, during the pandemic because he couldn't fly. Oh wow! So he was like, I want to see my parents. I'm in 
Portugal. I can't fly to see them. They basically closed off all the flights. And he was like, what am I going to do? So he was like, I'm going to sail to Argentina over 5,000 miles. And it took him like 90 days. And there was like all this crazy stuff that happened. You should look it up. I mean, he had to like... There was uh, a time when the wind died down, so all these barnacles, like, grew on the bottom side of the boat. So, in order to not have drag, he had to, like, swim underneath the boat and, like... Sc- and scrub them yeah, off. Yeah, scrub oh the barnacles God. off. And then, you know, there's sharks that are, like, super prominent in the area. So, he was just, like... And then, yeah, and so he, he made it, and he made it just in time for Father's Day to celebrate with his dad. That's sick. Oh, that's nice. super sick. Yeah, wow. that's awesome. I, I, I don't know how many cases of White Claw I would need for that journey. He ran out of wine I, I, 10 days in, and it was 90 days. Oh, no. See, that's oh, the real tragedy. no. Dude, <laughs> you got to ration that out. I know. I wouldn't... Yeah. Or make a port somewhere. Unbelievable. <laughs> well, I do want to thank Mackenzie Ruiz for coming on the show today. You've been an absolutely wonderful guest. Uh, we're really glad to have you on. It was awesome. Yeah, uh, it was fun. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. That was a, a nice little light in my day during this whole crazy time. Oh, well, that's mm. why we're here. Uh, I want to thank Mr. Jaime Vidhen for being the co-host that he has always been. Thank you so much, everyone. It's a pleasure, as always. Uh, my name is Anthony Barrera. This has been the 1st and the 15th. We want to thank you all for listening. Have a great day. Bye. <laughs>